Welcome to the Friendship Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Binnick, and today we're gonna be talking about all things fitness, wellness, and mindset so that you can be the best version of yourself for everybody and your family and life that loves you and needs you. All right, guys, what is going on today? We are here for the start of our health section. For a lot of you guys, this is probably what you're here for. And as with all of our series, we are going to start with mindset and goals as it pertains to health and wellness. Now, we're going to talk about short-term and long-term wise, short-term and long-term goals and mindset, kind of how we think about that. And the nicest part about this is all of our long-term goals are all going to converge to be the exact same thing. Everybody who is in that 70, 75, 80-year-old boat, or maybe even a little bit younger, is going to have the same why, which is to stay capable and fit and mentally sharp as long as you physically can. To not be relegated to, you know, that wheelchair or not being able to, you know, get outside and go for a walk on the beach in retirement. On a long enough time scale, all of our whys converge to that one thing. And when we all converge to one thing, it's nice because if you zoom out a little bit and you think about kind of where you are in your trajectory, we still need to align within that same long-term vision. And so I love when people go outside a little bit of their risk-reward curve. Maybe you sign up for a competition or a marathon or an ultra-marathon or something really crazy out on that risk-reward scale where your risk is just so high. You, it's almost a certainty that you're going to have some tweaks, some nags, some injuries. But maybe that reward high is going to be just as high in the short term also. And I like that. It helps keep us motivated, helps us test our limits a little bit mentally and physically. I think that that's an important part of every, you know, everybody's training regimen in some capacity. And it doesn't always have to be a hardcore thing. It could be something, you know, something like a local 5K might scare you. That might be a big deal for you to sign up for or a pump and run or something at the Arnold or an obstacle course race. There's lots of different things that you can get involved with that are going to challenge you, get you out of your comfort zone a little bit, force you to focus a little bit more on nutrition, a little bit more on training, show up more consistently, wake up early, not hit the snooze button, skip out on a day because you know you've got this race or you've got this competition coming up that you signed up for. And that's how those things are useful. But we don't want to get into a point where we go so far out on that risk curve so consistently that we actually screw up and change our long-term trajectory where we maybe experience an injury or a setback or something that becomes permanent, something that will lead to you know, a surgery or an issue that will stand the test of time and will really pull us back from that long-term why. You know, and this is something for me that, you know, once I started to get a little bit more consistent back injuries, it's like, okay, like I got to, I got to keep a sharp eye on my back because long term, you know, a lower back problem is something that will definitely, definitely hurt that long term. Why? You know, it'll hurt you being able to go for walks on beaches. And if I'm in my low 30s and I struggle to put on my own socks sometimes because uh, my back's so tight, well, it's something we got to keep an eye on. Now, when we start thinking about that kind of long-term vision and long-term why, the thing that's the most important when we get there are sort of these next couple things that we're going to dive into. So next thing we're going to talk to is uh, going to be identifying statements. 
And one of the reasons that Maria and I have been very successful in our health and fitness is because we are around people every day who look to us as role models and are looking to better themselves and improve upon themselves. And so it's very important that the way that we communicate, the way that we talk about ourselves, the way that we identify with nutrition, with exercise is a healthy one. And if we get a little bit off track with that, sometimes I personally just feel like a little bit of a hypocrite, right? I don't like, I've never been a leader who has been a, you know, do what I say, not what I do. I've always struggled with that because if I'm going to make a recommendation, like I'm going to be there in the foxhole with you. A lot of times I'm not going to make a recommendation that I haven't personally experienced or tried myself. And so those are things from my end that we personally identify with. And I love to see when people start to change their language. If you start to change anything first, change your language. I get to work out. I'm looking forward to the workout today. I, you know, I struggle with this thing, but I'm excited at the opportunity to get better at it. Think about how much better that is then. Yeah, I have to go get my workout in. I suck at this. Like this isn't that's that that workout was really hard. Like I just, I just don't know. You know, those those negative statements like if we are a person who identifies with something like I love to be challenged. If you just say that statement, think about how empowering that statement is. And if you just say that over and over and over again, every time you experience a challenge, you will be the type of person who in the back of their mind is going to have that but I like to be challenged. Good. Like, that's good. This is what I like. I like to be challenged. And now I'm being challenged. And if you just identify with these things and you start to think about what are the things that I'm struggling with the most and how can I change my language to one that is going to be growth oriented, is going to allow me to be in this positive frame of mind rather than a negative frame of mind. And I can guarantee you that you can see that the beginning point of your issue is actually your language around it. It's actually how you communicate to other people about that thing or about that person or about whatever it is that you're just struggling with. And it could be a relationship. Imagine if you're struggling in a relationship and you start to just talk about all the person's positive attributes. I'm really looking forward to spending time with this person today. I'm really looking forward to this opportunity that we're going to have to learn more about each other. If you start changing your language to, I'm looking forward to the opportunity of, then automatically you've already started to win that battle. And I just, I think this is huge. And so I love the identifying statements. Andy talks about this all the time with nutrition. One of my biggest identifying statements, if I were to say this to, you know, to a lot of people, they think like it's crazy, but I don't eat fast food. I can count less on, on one hand. It's been three times. Actually, I have the exact number in my head three times in the last 15 years that I've gone and gotten fast food. And those little things, like if you just identify with, I don't eat fast food. And it's this crazy anomaly when you do. For a long time, I didn't drink. I don't drink. It keeps things so black and white. You're at a social event, you're somewhere. If you look at somebody in the eyes and you say, I don't drink, 
and you're very firm and very confident. You don't waver. It's a decision that's been made. People don't actually press you on it a lot. When you kind of waver and they can tell you're not really convicted with it, if you're like, oh, you know, I'm kind of trying this thing out right now or like I'm not really drinking and you like hedge and you protect because God forbid that one of your friends think less of you because you're not drinking. If that's where you're at, like watch, they're going to give you pressure back. They're going to test your conviction on that thing. But if you look at somebody, you say, I don't drink. That pretty much ends the conversation. Okay. Now, somebody who's inquisitive might ask why. And again, very, very simple comments to answer that question. Not good for me. Don't like the way I feel. Don't like what it does to me as a person. I like to be sharp mentally. I like to wake up and feel good. I like my mornings. I'm creative in the mornings. I like to drink coffee. I like to get stuff done. Pick your pick what one satisfies you the most. There's a million reasons that we can come up with why you don't drink. You know, makes me bloated, makes me heavy, makes my you know stomach feel bad. I have, you know, I'm get become irregular. There's a million things, right? It's an easy statement. But the conviction that you have on the identifying statement is going to be what people press on or what they don't. So for a long time, I actually told this story at the most recent nutrition seminar. For a long time, I identified with, I don't eat vegetables. And I still struggle to eat vegetables. For those of you guys who listen to the podcast for a while, you know that I struggle to eat vegetables. It's not something that you know I enjoy, but it is something I want to get better at. And so I started to take these steps. I started to think about that a lot, right? It just wasn't something. That's not something I want to identify with. I did not want to identify with, I don't eat vegetables anymore. So you start to identify with, what vegetables do I like? And I say now I drink my vegetables predominantly. I'm working on eating more. And I went out of my way to start thinking about how could I look at this from a growth mindset perspective. And so I was really convicted, spent a lot of time, a lot of money to build out our vegetable garden this year and to have this opportunity. And when you put the effort in to grow this vegetable garden, you put the hours in every day to go out, you know, and water it and tend to it and clip it and all these things, you don't want to let it go to waste. And so, so far, I don't think we've thrown away any of our vegetable garden. As soon as it's ready to pick, we pick it, we consume it, and it's getting used. And so that's a great way for me to start changing my identifying statement, right? Like now I I run a vegetable garden and I eat those vegetables. And so that was a long one for me. I was like an 8, 10, 15 year identifying statement that I had to work, that I had to challenge myself a little bit to get outside of because I know that sitting down and having conversations with people talking about how they need to eat more vegetables again, like I just talked about, but not actually going through any work to really talk about myself. Yeah. That was disingenuous. That was hypocritical. I do not like being a hypocrite as like the, for me, it's, it's a low integrity thing being a hypocrite. It's one of the worst things I can label people as Uh, I don't, I would never want that label to be associated with me. And, you know, obviously integrity is my a number one attribute. And so um, those are those are big things for me. But the identifying statements in and around whatever you're struggling with right now, if you think about just if you pause the podcast, and you just think about what am I struggling with? If you're frustrated, if you're mad, if you're upset, what is it? If you're not experiencing success in some endeavor, work, you know, health, weight loss, whatever it is, pause the podcast, think about it for a second and then think about the language you're using, even if it's just in your head, even if you're not talking to anybody about it which you should talk about to people because that's how you figure out how you're talking about it. And you should talk about to people who aren't going to take your bullshit 
and aren't going to take, you know, your your excuses and the negative communication. It's one of the biggest things that I'm proud of some of my friends in my life where if I go negative, which we all do from time to time, my best friends are the one who hear that out of me and they call me out so fast. They don't even let it linger in the air for a second. And they try to reframe my language because they know that that's what I want out of them. That's what I need out of them. That's what we need out of our friends. A true friend is going to say, I don't drink. Say, awesome. We'll both have waters today. And they support you in that. And if you, and they know you're trying not to drink and then you're, you're like, Hey, like, well, maybe, you know, it's a nice day outside. Maybe we'll get a margarita today. Like, what do you think? I don't know. And they're like, no, you don't drink. We're moving on. Right. Those are the types of friends we want in our life. So moving on to our next one, we got three ones here. This is all growth mindset, abundance mindset, and white belt mindset. Growth mindset, we talked about a little bit. And that's the reframing of your language around something that is going to move you closer to better than closer to you know worse. And the opposite of growth mindset is a fixed mindset. And a fixed mindset is basically making up your mind. And one of my favorite statements for this is, I reserve the right to change my opinion based off of new evidence. We don't hear that a lot these days. And that would have been something that, boy, would I have loved if people would have used during COVID is just, well, this is what we think right now, but we reserve the right to change our opinion based on new evidence. That's such a simple statement. And it should be true for everything. Everybody should be willing to change their mind in a heartbeat on anything in the entire world if new evidence comes about. And so thinking about things in that framework, right, we can never be too convicted on anything on, you know, and this is challenging sometimes in the health world, in the strength and conditioning world. Medicine, it's horrible, right? Medicine is always, always changing. And the medicine today is so different than the medicine 30 years ago. And so you have to imagine the medicine 30 years from now will be drastically different than it is today. And yet you get a lot of people inside of medicine that talk in absolutes. They talk in a fixed mindset. You know, the one of the videos I saw last week, which I thought was a great video, talks about how academia is holding this back based off of a peer reviewed system is peer review requires consensus among everybody to think in the same way. But naturally, that doesn't allow new evidence to come up and come to light, be questioned, be thought about. Um, and maybe maybe it does, but it's much harder, much higher scrutiny level to get through. And so things progress generally sort of get slows down in that world. And one of my favorite podcasts ever about this was uh, Charles Poliquin, who's one of the most legendary, if not the most legendary strength and conditioning coach of all time. And he was on a podcast with Tim Ferriss a while back before he passed away. And Tim asks him about, you know, people who's these PhD students who do their dissertations on his strength and conditioning metrics and some of the workout styles that he does. And they publish these papers on things he did 20 years ago. And he asks Charles why he's not more involved with the publishing of those studies and these things. And he goes, "There, academia is always 25 years behind. He goes, the stuff that I'm doing right now in the gym will be studied 15 or 20 years down the road, but I don't have time to sit and wait on the evidence to show me that what I'm doing is effective. I'm just continuing to up the game and use my own metrics, use my own eyeballs, use my own observation to analyze whether something is effective or not. 
And once you've been in it, you know, for him, I mean, he's countless gold medal, uh, gold medal teams, gold medal country, gold medal athletes. That was kind of his status quo was these professional Olympic athletes and training them in the off seasons and getting ready for the Olympics. Once you've done that for 20 or 30 years, like you can imagine what he's talking about. Like I imagine, you know, Coach Zhevsky can create a new basketball drill, run his athletes through it and within five minutes know if that drill is effective or not. And then there's going to be people that'll study and they'll come to his camps and they'll name the drill and they'll talk about, well, this is so effective because, you know, the average heart rate of the average athlete during this drill is 146 beats per minute. And that 146 beats per minute, we get every and they're overanalyzing all this. But Coach Zewski can just see this is an effective drill and that's all that matters to me. So we're moving on. And that idea of having that growth mindset and always pushing and moving the ball forward and not waiting on, you know, something to kind of give you the go ahead and staying out of that fixed mindset is absolutely essential when we start thinking about our own health. Because a lot of the things that we get fixed mindset on, you know, I have to, you know, run X amount of miles this week. I have to get X amount of macronutrients in. I have to do this. I have to do that. All of those things are fixed, right? And they don't allow opportunity for new evidence to come in and persuade us or change our change our minds. And we don't have this mindset a lot of times to be adaptive and tr- change and try new things. When I first started doing really intense fitness, I was playing around with diets a lot. And I tried just about everything that was popular at the time. And I tried combinations of different ones, paleo and zone mixed together, which would be like paleo and macros basically mixed together. And I tried all these different things, intermittent fasting and yada, yada, yada. And that was great for me. I found the the diet that worked best for me, the nutrition plan that I've stuck with really for the last eight years is kind of what came out of that. And that playing around that there's not one fixed diet mentality really allowed me to just kind of think about, well, this is what I can keep from this diet and this is what I can keep from that diet and I can learn and I can grow and I can always adapt and change and try new things. But that is essential for us. And especially when we come to the the gym, when it comes to nutrition, when it comes to our sleep regimen, all these different things, have that growth mindset. Don't be fixed in anything that you feel like is like just absolute fact. Um, you know, and this is, uh, this is stuff that's really fun to play around with when you start thinking about what are the things that are absolute fact? Like, let's take something really obvious. Let's take like a squat. A squat is when the hip crease goes below the knee, right? And we have to get full depth because at full depth, the hip mechanics are going to apply the right musculature to make sure that we you know, get out of the squat with the most efficiency. And then there's this whole world of people out there that think that a squat is not a below parallel. And in fact, there are people that will try to convince you that a squat below parallel is bad for your knees. And so you have to have a growth mindset and you have to think, okay, well, let's play that out. Let's think about the kinesiology behind that. Let's, you know, and I've gone through this. Let's hear the arguments from both sides. Let's do both. Let's do a whole cycle of doing squats above parallel. Let's see how our body feels. Let's see what where our numbers go. Let's gauge our muscle mass. Let's measure our butts. Let's measure our hamstrings, measure our legs. Let's see where our max squats are. Let's let's try all these things and see. And for those of you guys who are wondering, it is pretty definitive that going below parallel to your natural end range of motion is key, right? The next one, guys, is going to be this idea of abundance mindset. And if you guys know me, you know I absolutely hate 
Instagram. I hate social media culture. I think it is one of the worst things that's ever happened to our society. And I know there's a lot of arguments for why it's not and blah, blah, blah. But uh, one of the biggest reasons why is this comparison culture. If the person to the left or right of you, if the person on Instagram, if, you know, whoever you're comparing yourself to, if you, if there is somebody who is outrageously fit and is seen massive success and they PR something and they beat you in a workout and they look better than you, you know, with your shirt off, that's where they are. Guess what? That doesn't have one ounce of one effect of anything in your life. It doesn't change your performance. It doesn't change your looks. It doesn't change your health. So spending any time worrying about this like comparison culture or so-and-so is getting better than me or whatever, like abundance mindset means you should be nothing but happy for people when they achieve success. And I think a lot of our culture could be a much more positive place, a much more happy place if everybody could just kind of say the phrase like, wow, they must have worked really hard for that. That's awesome. I'm super proud of them. Like, that's great. Even if it's like not the most, you know, even if like in your mind you feel that natural raw jealousy emotion and it's like festering. But again, think about your language with it. And you just attribute them the success and this is one of those things when I was competing a lot, you know, I, I you win some, you lose some. And the thing I liked about competing CrossFit is, yeah, there's there's people to your left or light and they might motivate you to go a little faster, a little heavier, whatever it might be. But for the most part, it's just an individual thing, right, is you do you and however it shakes out. But the thing I loved about the highest levels, you know, when you're competing for that spot to the games is you just know that like if that person to the left or right, of if they beat me. I know how much pain and you know anguish and suffering the the challenge of the workouts that I have put myself through over this past year has been so immense for this person to beat me in this workout they must have worked so hard and so you can look at them you can shake them in the hand you can pay them all the respects that they deserve and say great job man like just congratulations wish you guys luck tip your cap and you move on and same is true when we're looking at anything. If we're looking at the way somebody looks with their shirt off, we're looking at aesthetics. Tip your cap. Realize that that person is, you know, not going out and enjoying a bunch of pizza and beer, not, you know, taking weekends where they're in bed at eight o'clock and they have no social life. Trust me, I've been there, right? Like I have pictures of myself at extremely low body fat percentages, but I can also tell you that that meant that I had like n almost no cheat meals and I was dialed in in bed every night. So I could, you know, train the next day and there, there was no going out. There was no social life. There was not, not a lot of fun. And that's the sacrifice. And so you have to realize that people who are doing that same thing, like they are sacrificing a lot to look that way. And there's trade-offs. And a lot of times people who don't look that way, they don't want to trade those things off. And that's fine. But you can say, wow, that must have taken a lot of hard work. Great job. Like uh, you probably had to work a lot on your mindset, a lot on your nutrition. You probably had to sleep a lot. You had to exercise consistently throughout years and years and years. That's really hard to do. Have that abundance mindset. Be a person who's proud of other people for their accomplishments. It is a very, very attractive trait. And it's a rare trait these days. A lot of people talk behind people's backs. A lot of people love to compare. A lot of people love to be jealous. 
It's just not attractive. None of those things are attractive. And so from a health perspective, that abundance mindset, if you push the people to the left or right of you to be a little bit better and you communicate to them how proud you are of them, that lifts everybody up. If our whole society had this abundance mindset towards health and fitness, we would all lift each other up and everybody would be better for it. And it's something I really want, not just for our community, for the friendship community, but really for the greater community in general. And so I want you guys to think about that abundance mindset as you're going throughout your days. And this is going to pair over a lot into the wealth capacity too. And the last one, guys, on this is white belt mindset. White belt mindset means we come in every day and we pay attention to the fundamentals. It's always astounding to me that the best athletes in the world, they always project the exact same advice to people who want to be great, which is just kill yourself being great at the fundamentals. And Greg Glassman, who created CrossFit, really has one of the best quotes, which is just when you think you're starting to get good, reset everything and go back through the basics with a fine tooth comb. And it's just such a great quote. And that white belt mindset is something that I think is really good from an ego perspective. There's actually some really cool things about uh, really advanced Brazilian jiu-jitsu people never wearing any belt but a white belt. And they and it's not only just to help them from a mindset perspective, uh, but also to force themselves into doing the same like beginner monotonous drills that everybody has to do when they're a white belt, that the white belt beginner classes focus on all the time so that they have that drill and that repetition until they're like perfect at those drills. And man, how analogous is that to what we do every day in the gym is there is like, this is the thing that's always incredible to me is you'll watch some of the best athletes that have ever been through the gym. When you watch them warm up, every squat is so intentional. Every warm up rep, every time they grab the barbell, the movement is sharp. It's crisp. It goes right to where they want it to go. There's that intentional focus on every movement they make. It's really pretty to watch as a coach. And you can see people start to turn the corner when their empty bar work or their like warm up reps on the rig start to get a little tighter, a little faster, a little bit more precise. They look a little more serious when they're doing it because it's go time. Warm up time is go time. The time before warm up time is go time. How do you use your time when you're going throughout your day and you have to pick up a bag of charcoal off the ground? I just say that because I just picked up a big bag of charcoal. Do you set your back? Do you make sure you're moving right? Or do you just kind of sloppy pick it up? That white belt mindset keeps us in that frame of mind of really dialing in the fundamentals all the time. And so these, these sort of four things that have paired together here, identifying statements, growth mindset, abundance mindset, white belt mindset. These are the things I think just from a general overall health capacity, as we start talking through this series, we're going to talk a lot about why these mindset things as they pertain to health and fitness will be absolutely essential to elevating your health to the next level. Now we're going to talk a little bit and switch gears just a touch here. I'll try to wrap things up relatively quickly here and talk a little bit about just sovereignty and freedom, right? Is this is kind of what we want out of our health as well, is we don't want to feel like we are, you know, beholden to having a caretaker. If we're taking that same long-term why we talked about at the beginning, 
we don't want to think about having to, you know, be kind of watched or, you know, have to go to doctors all the time or have caretakers or be in a nursing home or things like that. We want that sovereignty and freedom to be able to go on that family vacation and be like an added benefit to it, right? Like we're out, you know, and you're, let's say you're 75 and your great grandkids are running around a, you know, beach vacation with you. You want to be able to say like, oh, I'll go out there and watch them. And like, you know, your grandkids who are your great grandkids, parents don't kind of like look out of their left and the right of their eye of like, oh, okay, you know, grandpa and like kind of like look at each other and go like, hey, like, you know, actually let let him kind of feel like he's watching him, but make sure you keep an eye on him too. You know, that that's kind of side of the mouth kind of thing, but like actually feel like, no, like he is a sharp, intelligent, capable, great grandfather who can go out and play with him. And that's the sovereignty and freedom that we want. And obviously, when we're young, we sort of have that natural innate ability of the sovereignty and freedom to move and go about our days as much as we want. We don't you know, have to go to the doctor for checkups all the time. It's not something that we require. But somewhere in that boat of like that late 20s, early 30s through our 70s, people's sovereignty and freedom as it pertains to their health is completely determined by their actions. So how much you have to go to the doctor, the problems you have at the doctor, the capability, you know, gains or losses that you have, all of those things are based off of your actions. And so we want our actions to dictate pushing that, you know, ball back as much as we possibly can. And so from the last kind of idea of this sovereignty and freedom, we have to sort of reject a lot of what society tells us. I actually think this is one of the hardest things is being contrarian to society Uh, is essential when you live in a society that is very sick. And America currently, and really a lot of the world, is extremely sick. And we've adopted very sickening habits, right? Habits that force us into chronic disease, stress, anxiety. And there's, you know, pick which one you want, right? There's, you know, highly processed nutrition that's, you know, made its way around sugary drinks. The fact that third world countries now are addicted to soda, right? And that's like a proud point for Coca-Cola's to be in every country in the world. Um, you know, those are, those are sort of just some of them, but sitting, working too much, uh, you know, not, you know, get cars and roads, not walking enough, not be not prioritizing being out in nature. All of these things have been, you know, sort of are the way that society operates a lot of the times now and just really, really unhealthy for us. So we sort of have to reject each one of those. Again, this sort of goes back to my point of kind of do the opposite, right? This <laughs> is the George Costanza, right? Just do the, whatever everybody else is doing. If our society generally is obese and highly chronic disease oriented, if we just do the opposite, then by nature, or what does he say? But then by uh, by proxy, everything you do would be right. And so that kind of mentality really fits in well here. We have to reject the status quo of what the advertising and, you know, sort of general society deems as quote unquote normal. And I have no desire to be normal. And I think that's a big reason why I've been able to be, you know, very healthy and happy is like, just don't, don't have any desire to be quote unquote normal. And this has been something where, you know, again, if you are not sovereign, not free, if you're sick and you get to this point where you have to go to the doctor because you've got so much pain, so much discomfort, all these things, you kind of are beholden to that doctor 
right? You get, you put yourself in this situation where you're going to have to start taking people's advice who may or may not know you. And again, you're talking about these are going to be the experts at the time. And we don't know whether or not those things are kind of going to be right. And 2020 has really shown us that, you know, COVID specifically, that a lot of experts just don't know what they're talking about. They use best case scenarios and they talk with a lot of certainty, but a lot of times it comes out with enough time that maybe they weren't right. And you can look throughout history and there was a ton of times where people fought against major scientific breakthroughs, like washing your hands before surgery. And these breakthroughs were essential to saving lives, yet the status quo didn't believe in them and so they fought against them. And so, you know, this is the tough part is for a lot of people, you know, maybe that realization that, you know, experts or doctors didn't know or don't know what they're talking about all the time might have been a realization for some people in 2020. And maybe some of you guys or some people, you know, still haven't realized that at all yet. But being on the preventative side of this now for the better part of a decade has really shown us that there will be people who will put a lot of stock and a lot of, you know, reliability on Western medicine and Western medicine is really great for a lot of things. It's great for, you know, you get shot, you get in a car wreck, you know, Western medicine is where you want to be. Like they are amazing at solving these acute issues and you should go to the hospital right away. And that stuff is essential where Western medicine is lacking right now is the more holistic approach to lifestyle. And really recommending and having conversations, in-depth conversations, in time, spending time mentoring and guiding people in lifestyle changes towards how to, you know, divert chronic disease and how to divert obesity. And a lot of this comes back down to, if you guys sift back long enough through the podcast, you guys have heard me talk about this concept of sort of functional medicine a lot of it all comes back down to a broken healthcare system, right? Is the financial incentives are not aligned, right? And it starts all the way back for these doctors who go to medical school. And a lot of them have to take out student loan debt to go there. And as a result of really high tuition costs, the doctors are sort of become a little bit of slaves to their uh, student loan costs. And so they have to make drastic sums of money to be able to pay down that student loan appropriately. And to be able to make that drastic amount of money, the hospitals have to see or the, you know, the doctor's offices have to see too many patients in too little amount of time to really provide the counseling that's needed. So on average, doctors will see people for about six minutes per visit. And a lot of times if somebody is, you know, experiencing their first bout with chronic disease, they do not have the time in six minutes to have an in-depth conversation about lifestyle, to counsel somebody, to hear where their lifestyle is even at, to learn anything about the patient in six minutes would be very challenging. And so they get relegated into this, you know, sort of behind the eight ball mentality where okay, like here's the situation. We ran the tests. These are the results. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to put you on this medication. Stop by the pharmacy on your way out. I'm going to give you a printout with a bunch more information on it for other things that you should do. And, you know, we'll check back in in a month, right? And boom, and now they're on to the next patient. 
And that printout might certainly and probably does certainly have something like a, a blip, a bullet point about, you know, nutrition and a blip and a bullet point about exercise. And the person, you know, gets it and all they realize is, oh my gosh, I just got diagnosed with diabetes and now I have to start taking this insulin medication and I'm reading all about insulin and diabetes and all these things, but they didn't actually get down to the guidance on lifestyle factors. And so Western medicine still has a long, long, long way to go as it pertains to some of the real factors, the real things that are actually plaguing our healthcare system. They're great at what they're great at. But if we actually think about the real problem right now in society is this chronic disease, obesity, lifestyle diseases, right? The lifestyle health problems that our society has adopted is a massive and growing issue. And I think a lot of times we're just not looking to the right people. And this has been my big journey. And the biggest thing that I am a proponent of is we need to professionalize dietitians, nutritionists, personal trainers, coaches, and gyms. Is we don't, if you guys think about like, if I say personal trainer, you don't think about the smartest person you know. You don't think about this person, like you don't think about that person as being as intelligent as a doctor. You don't think about that person being as intelligent as a lawyer or, you know, insert other profession here. There's not that same nomenclature adopted to or, or even just respect, uh, you know, associated with the profession generally. If I say a nutrition coach, same thing. You know, maybe you think about an Instagram person or a personality online. There's just we're missing this gigantic world. This whole opportunity is there. And it's really, really challenging because doctors, based off of what I just told you, you know, they're going to make six-figure salaries. A lot of lawyers are going to make six-figure salaries. The average personal trainer makes about $26,000 a year. And so we're not incentivizing the right things the right ways. And that's a huge societal issue. That's a gigantic uphill battle for us at Friendship. It's a gigantic uphill battle for anybody in the gym and fitness and nutrition space on the preventative side of things. It's a very noble cause to take those things on. And this is what I want us to do. These are the conversations we need to have. So we need to know what medicine, Western medicine, we need to know what modern medicine, we need to know what it's good for and what it is not good for. And honestly, the things that's not good for from a lifestyle perspective, guys, we need to adopt things that are just a little bit more associated with something like a primal living, right? The body has an absolutely incredible immune system built into it already. If we feed it the right way, if we fuel it the right way, if we exercise the right way, if we go out and we get proper sleep, we are low stress, we get our sunlight, we're around nature, we laugh, we smile, we hug, we touch every day. We eat a diet rich in micronutrients and macronutrients of whole natural occurring foods that are not processed, probably don't even have a nutrition label. And we work and we walk and we work out, we run, we sprint, we jump, we do what kids would do on a playground if you just watch them. That's what we embody. If you did that every single day, you'd be living your absolute best healthy life. And when you start thinking about that, that makes some of the things, you know, like squats and how much you lift and what your workout time was and how many pull-ups you can do, it makes some of that stuff kind of fade to the background. Because honestly, like this is what matters is, is living your best natural human life. And something in that list of that day, if we do those things every day, something in that list, we're probably not doing great. 
So that list is basically what we're going to be talking about a lot over our health section. And my goal for you is to be able to make easy judgment calls when we get into major issues in the world. And so for me, there's no greater sign of the ego of man than false belief that he can control nature. And if you want to see me get just hyper triggered, watch some expert on some news shows talk about controlling COVID or controlling whatever insert natural thing, natural disaster. You know, it's like saying I'm going to control this hurricane or control tornado or control, you know, climate change or control whatever. Like think about the ego behind that statement. Nature has and always will win. We will not beat it, right? There is nothing that we will be able to invent that is going to stop nature's course if it wants to run that course. The only thing that we can do is be as prepared for it as physically possible. And what that means for us really is just going to be saying every time that nature comes at us with something, whether it be a pandemic or tornado or hurricane, volcano, earthquake, whatever these things are, is if you are in world-class, tip-top shape, where you can run at your absolute fastest and you have aerobic and cardiovascular endurance, you can swim, you can climb, you can pull up your own body weight, you can push up your own body weight, you can carry other people, you are in world-class tip-top shape, then when these things come along, you will be your most prepared to survive them. And my favorite story about this is Miranda Oldroyd was in a car accident and shattered her neck and, you know, broke the vertebrae on her neck and went around for about three weeks after the car accident. And I was kind of like, man, my neck's still really bugging me. And she goes into the doctor's office to get x-rays. The doctor comes back in after viewing the x-rays, like real sketchy, slow moving, and reaches and attaches a neck brace around her neck and breathes a sigh of relief. And he looks at her and says, I, I don't know how you're alive right now. You've severed your spinal cord in two or three different spots. And the only thing that's actually holding the nerves of your neck together right now is your muscles. And she's obviously, she's a very muscular person, right? She's a, she's a great lifter. Uh, she was a world-class CrossFitter. Um, and had she not trained for that, for just life, things are going to happen. Had she not done that training, she would have certainly died in that car accident. And you never know when that car accident's right around the corner or that next pandemic's right around the corner, whatever it is, you never, never know. And I just don't want to rely on, you know, some obscure, you know, government or official or somebody to, you know, believe that they can control whatever is coming enough or fast enough to be able to really help me. Because for me, I got COVID before the control components were able to come in and stop the virus or, or, you know, produce vaccines that would help you stop it. 
And that's almost always going to be true, right? Whatever measures or countermeasures or whatever it is, like our goal with tornadoes and hurricanes and some of these things now, it's not to prevent them. We understand that we can't necessarily control them. The goal is just to give people as much warning as possible. That's it. And so when you get that warning, you need to be ready to go. You need to be ready to move, move quickly. So I think when we start thinking about some of these things from a health perspective, it helps give us a little bit of a framework. And that was my goal today is try to think about this is the framework. This is the lens that we're looking through is we need to prioritize that best primal life, right? Is we want to maximize our immune system. We want to maximize our positivity, our stress relief. When I give our muscles the best opportunity to grow, we never want to invite any opportunity for fat to grow onto our body. And we just want to be primed, prepped, and ready for whatever the next thing, the next challenge that nature throws at us or just life generally throws at us. So that's our goal inside of the health and uh, fitness side of things. I'm excited to dive into this one with you. We got a lot of fun topics. Uh, you know, next week we're going to really dive deep into nutrition. Obviously, that is our number one goal, and as the easiest way for us to be a healthy person is to eat well. So look forward to that in a couple of weeks, and I will talk to you guys next week. Thanks.